The Torah content from now through Pesach has been sponsored by the Kofsky family in loving memory of Adira, who loved big ideas and asking big questions. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Today's reading is from Marcus Aurelius, Book 4, Paragraph 23. Everything is fitting for me, my universe, which fits thy purpose. Nothing in thy good time is too early or too late for me. Everything is fruit for me, which thy seasons nature bear. From thee, in thee, to thee are all things. The poet sings, Dear City of Seacrops, and will you not say, Dear City of God? Okay, so um, this is very reminiscent of the popular uh, notion of uh, of Gamzu Latova. And I say the popular notion because I think there are a lot of people who would translate Gamzu Latova as everything is for the best. Uh, and we've spoken before on the podcast, uh, I don't remember which episode, about the... Um, the Kuzari's interpretation of Gamzu Latova, um, that everything is for the good, being the good in terms of the Tov Ma'od, the very good of, uh, of Breshis. Um, if uh, someone remembers uh, which episode that is, <laughs> then uh, uh, let me know, and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but there is another, um, I think, uh, favorable interpretation of Gamzu Latova that uh, is reflected in the Stoic teachings, and that is best expressed by Epictetus in the Enchiridion, the handbook, chapter 8 where he says, do not demand that things should happen just as you wish, but wish them to happen just as they do, and all will be well. Uh, and that, in my mind, really um, uh, dovetails, and I don't think it's exactly the same idea, but it dovetails with um, the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, chapter 2, Mishnah 4, uh, statement of Roman Gamliel, the son of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, who says, um, make his will, capital H, make his will like your will, so that he will do your will like his will, nullify your will before his will so that he will nullify the will of others before your will. Um, and I, I think that that's pr probably more likely what Marcus Aurelius meant, that uh, that the Stoic tries to cultivate this um, this attitude where, where everything that happens in reality he accepts with perfect equanimity and um, and and you know realizes that it is uh, it's God's will. Now, again, just to to say th th this is not like the popular notion where you're trying to figure out how the things that happen to you are messages from God. You know, I don't I don't think that's what uh, either Judaism or Stoicism advocates. Um, but it really has to do with acceptance of reality and the recognition um, that uh, everything is God's will. Now. I've said this on the podcast before, but you know, even though we do commentary on uh, on Marcus Aurelius, I think the more accurate way to look at this podcast is like meditations on his meditations. And so, there are some thoughts that I had when I read this, uh, not because of the text itself, but because what was going on in my mind at the time. So over Shabbos, I was looking something up in uh, in Gibbons. Uh, Edward Gibbon's book, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Uh, I was looking for a quote, and I I thought to myself, oh, maybe I'll read what he says about Marcus Aurelius. So I read what he said, and in general, he's very, um, uh, you know, he, he praises Marcus Aurelius uh, very highly, saying that the, you know, the best time in the, uh, you know, the, the happiest time in humanity's existence was really the period in the Roman Empire um, spanning uh, the five emperors uh, of which Marcus Aurelius was the last one um, and uh, and whatever. He writes about that at length. Okay, But what really intrigued me was uh, his criticism of Marcus Aurelius. So here's what he says here. Uh, this is in The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire 4.1. So he says, 
The mildness of Marcus, which the rigid discipline of the Stoics was unable to eradicate, formed at the same time the most amiable and the only defective part of his character. His excellent understanding was often deceived by the unsuspecting goodness of his heart. Artful men who study the passions of princes and conceal their own approached his person in the disguise of philosophic sanctity and acquired riches and honors by affecting to despise them. His excessive indulgence to his brother, his wife, and his son exceeded the bounds of private virtue and became a public injury by the example and consequence of their vices. So he he does write about, um, we'll just summarize first of all, he's basically saying that the same qualities that made Marcus really so good also made him susceptible to the deceptions of others. Um, and he quotes the three examples here, or he mentions the three examples of his brother, his wife, and his son, and he writes about each one of them. But I want to read uh, what he says about um, uh, Marcus Rilius's wife, Faustina. So he says, Faustina, the daughter of Pius and the wife of Marcus, has been as much celebrated for her gallantries as for her beauty. The grave simplicity of the philosopher was ill-calculated to engage her wanton levity or to fix that unbounded passion for a variety, which often discovered personal merit in the meanest of mankind. The Cupid of the ancients was, in general, a very sensual deity, and the amours of an empress as they exact on her side the plainest advances, are seldom susceptible of much sentimental delicacy. Marcus was the only man in the empire who seemed ignorant or insensible of the irregularities of Faustina, which, according to the prejudices of every age, reflected some disgrace on the injured husband. He promoted several of her lovers to the posts of, to posts of honor and profit, and during a connection of 30 years, invariably gave her proofs of the most tender confidence and of a respect which ended not with her life. In his meditations, he thanks the gods who has bestowed, uh, who, who, who had bestowed on him a wife, quote, so faithful, so gentle, and of such a wonderful simplicity of manner. Uh, that's from Meditations 117. So uh, what's the connection between this and uh, today's reading? So what I'm wondering is, you know, when uh, we've talked a lot about the relationship between Mishle and Stoicism, and I do think that, Sto that the, 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 Principles of Stoicism really form the foundation of Mishle. However, there is a big difference between the the Chacham, the wise man of Mishle, and the Stoic Chacham. And I think one of those differences is that the Mishleic Chacham is on guard against this kind of deception and is much more proactive in his relationship with reality. Um, and whereas the Stoic Chacham is much more yielding and passive. Uh, and I, I would almost say that the the Stoic Chacham is prone to a certain type of naivete that the Mishleic Chacham overcomes through his cunning. Um, and uh, and I, 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 it's not something I really feel prepared to like, you know, state a, 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 a shita, like a, a view on right now. But I, I just was thinking about it, that this this passage of Aurelius, where he's saying how, like, you know, everything that, that happens is uh, is good and is from from God and is neither you know, uh, too late nor too early and everything like that. That's good on the one hand in the sense of accepting reality, but it can also lead to a certain type of naive passivity uh, and acceptance of of things that ought not to be accepted. And I think that's really where Mishli diverts uh, or diverges from uh, from Stoicism. So something to think about. Um, I, I Again, I'm, I'm, these are just my meditations on, on Aurelius's meditations. Um, so... This is something that we should explore in the future. Uh, that is it for today's episode. If you've gained from what you've learned here today and would like to support my production of even more Torah content, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Schneeweiss. Link is in the description. Thank you to my listeners for listening, and thank you to my patrons for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone. And it's just occurring to me now, uh, 
this Friday is Asara Batavis, uh, the, the fast of the 10th of Tavis. And out of all of the fast days, I think this one is most relevant to the podcast. Why? Because one of the things we mourn on Asara Batavis is, uh, is the Septuagint, uh, the, the translation of the Torah into Greek. Um, and, uh, not to go into right now why that is a tragedy, but it certainly has something to do with the fact that it uh, that the Torah was taken out of our hands um, and put into the hands of a foreign culture um, and uh, therefore subject to adulteration by foreign uh, ideas. So, uh, you know, <laughs> certainly um, there is a, an argument can be made that that, um, you know, that. The same thing is going on in in uh, in my exploration of Stoicism uh, as compared with Judaism, but you can also look at it as as you know this podcast being like a uh, a way to you know repair the damage that was done in some way by trying to sort out the differences between Greek philosophy or this aspect of Greek philosophy and uh, and Judaism. So something to think about. Um, I guess if you uh, if you have not yet uh, become a patron uh, of this Patreon, or sorry, of this uh, podcast, and want to contribute, uh, then uh, you know think of it as going towards uh, rectifying the damage that was done by uh, by the uh, the mixing of Greek culture and and uh, and Torah culture, uh, and uh, and let that be a motive for uh, for your uh, your contributions.